There we go. All right, well, this is uh, class six, our last time of uh, a teaching for this, and we'll do our labs in the next two classes. Um, this is uh, on presentation. So today, it's going to be a lot on just on, on just the, the more of the uh, did speech class. <laughs> it's kind of along those lines. Um, a lot of just kind of tidbits and little things that will be helpful um, in, uh, in kind of the presentation, the, the homiletic side of, of what we're doing. So let me get, uh, let me pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you for uh, opportunity to look at these uh, 20 kind of uh, helps uh, for presenting and teaching. I pray, God, that you would uh, guide our conversation tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is meant to be super practical, and uh, there are 20 of them, and we'll look at each one of them. Um, as you may have questions on each one, or uh, let me know. Uh, as was noted earlier, that the, the sections, the, the printouts do seem to get shorter, um, so hopefully they are. Early class was meant to rush through some stuff because it was a lot of content, but not the overall objective. This is kind of some stuff we want to slow down for and talk about, so... So we've got 20. So we'll look at each of these. The first one is the power of questions. Uh, like when you read Ryle and those guys, one of the things, all those people I had you read, I wanted you to look for the question mark because questions are a very powerful way of communicating um, with people. It's, it's a way to get people to track with you. It's a way to get them to think because if you just go on with indicative statement after indicative statement, sorry, I'm doing English grammar now, but indicative statements, um, if that's all you're doing is statement, 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 you kind of people like, hey, they start kind of falling asleep. And that, you can maybe be the most engaging person in the world, but if you don't ever ask questions, it doesn't ever give them an opportunity to kind of think for themselves. So, um, so that's, that's a helpful thing to do. Uh, it helps, uh, questions help bring the, the message back to the heart of the hearer. So that you're engaging the heart of the person. You're making them think about themselves. Uh, you're making them think about the world. You're making them think about God. Um, that's what all your questions are doing. And so that just engages them. So instead of just using their ears, they're hopefully now using their mind because they're answering a question, uh, especially the rhetorical ones. Now, if you have an audience like I had in L.A. at times, uh, I had African-Americans in there, they would very much answer those questions out loud um, <laughs> quite often. And it was just a normal thing, you know, but it depends on your audience in that way. So uh, it is interesting in the gospel. So Jesus asked more questions than he answered questions. If you go and count through those, he often he actually helped. He even often answered a question with a question. <laughs> he would uh, follow up with them in that way. Uh, he asked 307 questions, just in what's recorded in the gospel, four Gospels. 307 questions. That's a lot for four books, right? A lot of questions being asked. Um, asking questions was central to Jesus' life. And you can see, uh, printed out a few of those verses there in Matthew 6, 8, and then Luke 5 and 10, kind of some examples of Jesus. And some of the things that are most memorable that Jesus has, has said, um, we remember the, them by questions, right? So who of you could be anxious could add a single hour to his life? Or why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? Like those are, those are statements that we kind of remember. They're questions. Um, and so, um, so a key to asking right questions is to anticipate what your audience might be thinking. So as you're preparing, you're, um, you want to begin to think. So what would, what would they be thinking about this? What question would they have in their mind based on what I'm teaching? Um, consider saying something like, um, as you're teaching, you can say things like, um, you know, you, you may be thinking and then you kind of, you know, you, and that's, that's amazing. You say that kind of thing and they're like, yes, I am. I am thinking like, I, am, I do have that question. Wow. How did you know? It's like, um, but yeah, you, you really engage them at that point. Cause they're like, whoa, he's speaking right to me. Right. Or she's speaking right to me. I mean, it's a, it's a really a good way to do that. So you may be thinking, 
sometimes I'll, I'll, throw my, I'll throw myself in there and I'll say, um, you know, you, you may be saying, Chris, how, how can you be so sure about that? Right now, I'll just kind of throw that in like we're having a personal conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm kind of just trying to engage them and pull them in that way. Uh, another key is to pause after your questions. It's a question. Give them a second to think about it. I have to admit that I'm not the best at this because I just I just have to slow down. Um, I understand that. But if you ask a good question, it's okay to pause. And remember that, uh, the pause, and we'll talk about this in a little bit too. Pause is helpful. You feel nervous when you pause because you think, oh, no, everybody's staring at me. <laughs> but, but for them, it's not awkward. Right? For the audience, it's not awkward when you pause. Um, it gives them almost a time to mental like breathe for a second um, in that way. So... Uh, give the audience a chance to answer in their head. I uh, get particularly true of rhetorical questions. You may at times want to have them even answer out loud. I do that sometimes. Um, you know, um, sometimes I'll have them like, you know, the John three sixteen says, God so loved the what? The world. Oh, let's try that again. God so loved the world, right? So I, I'll kind of repeat it back because I may have caught people off guard like, oh, I was supposed to answer. <laughs> Didn't know that. So we'll go back. Let's try that again. No, God, you know, it's okay. It kind of gauges the audience that way if you feel, and sometimes you... Sometimes I do those things on the fly because I'll just kind of see people start going, you know, they're starting to tail off, and I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta, gotta get them back in again, right? So sometimes you're, it's not manuscripted out. It's just we need to kind of pull them back in um, because of that. So allow them to, you know, to answer out loud, finish a verse if necessary. Um, it's a good method, especially if they're familiar with the verse. Um, if it's very familiar, um, you know, and I always say, I always say, you may know because I want to say, now you know the answer to this, right? Because there's always people that don't, and they feel kind of dumb if you do that, right? If you're like, well, I guess I don't know anything, you know? So say, you know, you, you, may, know, you may know what this, you know, how does this end? Or something like that, and you're kind of involving them in that way. Uh, verbal involvement, again, is helpful, keeps them engaged. So that's the, the questions, the power of questions. Any questions on questions? <laughs> All right, the power of adjectives. Um, Adjectives are, because um, a lot of speaking, again, you, you're using words, right? You're using words, and this is where, it's always funny to me, and I go back to, like, high school, my, my, my English teacher, Mrs. Bird. I remember Mrs. Bird, and I tortured that poor lady, and I was awful. I was, like, in, like, English 12, like, 3, if there was one, like, the, the lowest possible group you could be in. I would stand there and stare at the wall and daydream, and she stayed with me. I learned, I, I did not try at all in English. I wish I would have. By the time I got to seminary and I started taking Greek and Hebrew, I had to go back to college and take English again so I could understand the basic laws of English <laughs> so I could learn another language, right? So, um, so English is important. Uh, grammar is important. So, so adjectives, powerful descriptors, uh, they paint. They, it's like paint for your nouns, right? It gives color uh, to them. Um, it adds color, vibrancy, vividness. Um, some examples of the power of adjectives uh, would be something like this. So instead of saying... Um, the crowds were loud as Jesus was crucified. Okay, that's, that's one way to say that. But what if we change that up? We say something like, the crowd let out a deafening roar when Jesus was crucified. You're like, oh, wow, okay. I, that's a whole different, same thing, synonyms. You're saying the same thing, but the, the power there of the, of the language is much more um, graphic, I guess you'd say. Um, so saying uh, Jesus' suffering was painful. Um, say something like Jesus' suffering was excruciating, right? So you're using, and sometimes we'll talk about this in a minute, when you repeat words or give a couple synonyms for one word, you'll help people because sometimes, like if you use excruciating, somebody may not know what that means. If I use 
it was excruciating and painful and oh painful okay that's what that means right so they they kind of jump in you're trying to get cookies on the bottom shelf have everybody get a cookie out okay um instead of saying the you know the lady the story with the lady the two mites was very poor right you could say the lady with the two mites was destitute right these are just ways of just adding the the, the language there um words like devastating you know gorgeous or swamped or packed or horrifying or mind-blowing uh, absurd, preposterous, frivolous, uh, heartfelt. These are all great, great words to kind of use. They just help paint a picture. So maybe they're, like, they're paint for your nouns um, in that way. Uh, so onto that power of synonyms. Uh, synonyms help your audience understand, uh, helps your audience's understanding as well as help them grasp the point. Uh, it's particularly important when considering the entire kind of message. Um, avoid using the same words over and over. I mean, sometimes you want to repeat some words because you want them to get a point, and that's okay. But you also want to vary the words. So if you, this is why it's helpful when I go through a manuscript and I write, a, I write everything out, I can go do a word search. And I feel like, you know, I think I use that word quite a lot. I can just do a word search, and boom, it'll show me, like, you used that 25 times. Okay, we need to sub some of those out. <laughs> I need to give, I need to use something a little bit differently. Um You'll lull them to sleep using the same kind of words over and over again. Again, unless you're trying to, there's one word you're really trying to drive home, then obviously that's really important. But um, when you use synonyms, you help expand their vocabulary. So you're actually educating people too. Uh, and if they didn't understand a word previously used, uh, a synonym will help give them clarity. Right. So it's it's good. I, I, I use a thesaurus every time when I teach, every single time. I'm always looking up, that's a word, but there's got to be a better word than that one. What's another way to say that or to add it to it as well? Um, next one, number four, the power of threes, power of three. This is unique kind of the scripture, but, um, the scripture many times couples truths in groups of threes. I don't think there's anything magical about that, but I think there is something to people's understanding of something to repeat it in like an odd number. Um, you'll find the method, especially in the Psalms, they'll repeat, um, words, or, or give multiple, re like this one, uh, Psalm 118, uh, that's printed there. It said, they surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees, right? So they're, he's continuing to keep that, he surrounded me, he used that three times. Uh, Psalm 121, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. Or is that three again, three keeps. Um, Psalm 135. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. House of Levite, bless the Lord. There's that repetition of those threes. And so I honestly just try a lot of times, I even try to do that quite often. I'll use three synonyms in a row that kind of mean the same thing, but I'll just use synonyms to kind of just give different, a little bit nuanced meaning. Um, so for example, uh, you could say um, Jesus was kind of uh, John 2, and he's kind of turning over tables, you know, in the... In the um, uh, in the temple, and he was upset with them, you know, taking advantage of the poor and the things they were doing. You would say something like Jesus. Jesus was angry, livid. He was upset at the money changers, right? So I gave three different words um, to kind of drive that home. Um, consider using the method when talking about God, right? You could say, you know, God's holiness, you know, it's immaculate, it's beautiful, yet terrifying. And I always try to couple things in threes whenever I teach. and just has a way of Again, varying the gives me more deeper language, helps people grab a hold of those things. Um, it just seems to be a practice that the Bible seems to use a lot. Putting things into groups of threes um, helps people in comprehension. Again, nothing magical about that, but I found that to be helpful. Uh, the power of 
contrast and negation or antithesis. Um, so uh, you want to tell them, tell them the truth, and then you want to tell them not the truth. <laughs> okay, so you want to tell them the truth and then tell them what it doesn't mean. And you hear me say this a lot when I teach. I'll say, now it's always important, remember, to ask, what does it not mean? Or what, it, what does it not say? Because um, it helps support what it does say. And it also helps people because understand that the language you use, you know, it's English, it could be any language, there are different ways that people define the words that you use. Right? So you could think you're totally clear. <laughs> you're using using a word a certain way, and someone's out there you, you define it in a totally different way. Um, so if you start using negation, you start saying, like, now that what it doesn't mean is this, that helps clarify people. Oh, I know exactly what, what they're saying kind of thing. Uh, many times people only understand what you mean when you tell them what it doesn't mean. Um, in this, this language, this is used a lot, like in the Psalms and Proverbs, a lot of wisdom literature. Um, a good method is to speak a truth and then say, again, now what, the, what that does not mean is... Let me give you some examples. So if I was talking about, there's different words. I'll give you a word like contextualization, not a common word. You may not even know what that means. Um, But if I'm using contextualization um, and I'm talking about that, which is when I'm trying to define it, um, what I would say is that what that does not mean, and this is like in in 1 Corinthians 9, I use that word. uh, What what it does not mean is compromise. It doesn't mean worldliness. It doesn't mean becoming like the world. Um, it doesn't mean giving people what they what they want to hear. Instead, what it means is giving people um, answers to the questions they're asking in words they can comprehend. Right. So I'm trying to explain to them what it means, but I start off by saying what it doesn't. Uh, especially when it's a word that again may not be very common in that way. Another example would be uh, if you're teaching on on loving one's neighbor, saying um, you know when Jesus says love your neighbor kind of thing, you can say this is this does not mean only the people that you know. It does not mean only the people you like. It doesn't even just mean the people that are near you. It means love your neighbors anybody, right? So you're, you, you use a lot of no's, a lot of negation to set up with, oh, he does mean love anybody. Okay. Um, because immediately when you say neighbor, like in our English, we use neighbor, think, oh, the house next door to me or the apartment next door, right? That's, that's immediately where we go when we think of neighbor. That's not what Jesus was talking about. Um, obviously, that's an application. Sure, you do need to love the person next door. But you need to love anyone, um, is the point. So, another example, uh, Romans 10.9 um, talks about um, anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Will. And I could say something like, well, it does not say might be, or hope to be, or, um, or possibly will be, but will be saved. Right. So you're driving that will, will word home by saying what it's not. Um, just kind of removing anything else that they may have been thinking just to clarify that. So so that's negation or antithesis there, right? Uh, another one, number six, the power of uh, cross-references. Now, cross-references, you'll find these a lot of times if you have, um, if you have a study Bible, you know, you'll see some cross-references. If you go online, uh, Bible Gateway, you know, those places you can hit, um, you know, show me cross-references and they'll pop up. Uh, cross-references are passages that are not in the immediate context of what you're teaching, but they help shed light on the truth that you're teaching. Um, these passages either speak to the same truth or the issue um, of your context, or it may involve tracing how a particular word or theme is used in the Bible. Um, this is uh, one of the hermeneutical principles we talked about earlier. This is called um, the analogy of Scripture, also called Scripture interprets Scripture. What I'm doing is I'm helping take other verses 
Um, so like this morning, I went to Galatians 3 to talk about equality um, because that, there was a point that was there in, in, in 1 Corinthians, but it wasn't as clear as I thought Romans, I'm sorry, as Galatians would be. So I brought Galatians up and kind of stayed there for a little bit because it helped shed light a little bit on the, on the issues we were talking about. Uh, cross references help to clarify difficult passages as well as broaden and balance uh, one's understanding of the issue the passage addresses. Okay, so one warning with cross references is always check the context of what you're quoting, okay? Um, it's very easy to grab a cross-reference and just rip it right out of context. And we've talked about it before, context is king. You need to always consider the context, how a verse is used. Um, sometimes when you also do a cross-reference, it may be helpful for your audience to maybe give a, you know, one sentence kind of set up, you know, uh, what's going on. Um, I, I don't do a great job at that, but it is, it is good to go. If you do cross-reference somewhere and be like, now Paul says this here, and, and what was going on was this, and then boom, there's the quote, right? So give them a little bit of context. You're air dropping in, you know, right into a parachute and right into the middle of a book somewhere um, without, any, without their uh, kind of understanding of that. Um, so you can also utilize this method asking, again, using the questions. Um, you can say things as you're teaching and be like, you know, consider... You know, consider John three sixteen. Now, now, what does John say? John says in verse sixteen, he says, you know, so I, I use the question when I'm referencing a cross reference, uh, again, trying to engage them, bring them along, instead of just immediately quoting. I'm, uh, I'm kind of pulling them in a little bit. Every time you like have a scripture, are you supposed to do a cross reference? Like every time you, does that make sense? Try me again. Every time you mean like what? every time you teach, have cross references, or within every section have cross-references. Yeah, maybe. Maybe those again. Yeah. No, cross aren't necessary. Okay. Um, they are helpful. Like I said, they're especially helpful if, um, you know, if there's something that maybe is difficult in their passage and there's another verse that kind of helps shed light on it. Gotcha. Um, it's also helpful as a pattern to do it because it just helps teach more of the Bible to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you find is that, like, if you quote somewhere, you know, inevitably, someone will be like, oh, I read that this week. Or, you know, they happen to be in that section, and that's, like, really encouraging to them. Like, oh, we, they quoted from the place I was just reading this week. I remember reading that. And I just, it just has a way of kind of just pulling more people in. So it's helpful. Um, don't, don't overkill on it, you know. Don't make your, they're just constantly just reading verses the whole entire time. Um, you know, it is, I'm all for that, but you need to make sure we use them sparingly, but use them purposefully. Uh, number seven, the power of similes and metaphors. Um, a simile makes a, a direct comparison between two realities by using the words, what? Like or as. Like or as, right. <laughs> Pin the ribbon upon your chest. You. All right. Um, biblical examples uh, include God's conversation with Cain, right, in, in Genesis 4. Um, you know, when he, when he compares him to the, the, you know, the, the ones creeping behind the door kind of idea uh, sin desires you know, to have you, as we talks about there. Uh, we find, uh, the, again, the, the wisdom literature, Job, Proverbs, Psalms, uses a lot of uh, similes. Um, uh, yeah, I got Psalm 1 there. You know, he is like, there it is, so there's a simile. He's like a, a tree planted by streams of water, right? He's like that. Uh, Psalm 421, as uh, the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. And again, these are a great, uh, similes are great ways to connect truth with people. Um, a metaphor also makes comparisons between two realities by declaring uh, to be um, one to be uh, like another without using like or as. So this is a comparison which one thing acts like or represents another. 
Um, the Psalms, again, use these metaphors quite a lot. So Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock. There's a metaphor, right? My, my fortress. Um, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Um, the Lord is a sun and a shield. He's a lamp. The Lord is a lamp to my feet. These are all, metaphors are a very powerful way of communicating. That's why the Bible uses them a lot. These are great methods for us to pull in and help give modern metaphors for people to help them make some connections to truths that you're teaching. All right, power of illustrations. We'll camp on this one for a little bit. Uh, the word illustrate is derived from a Latin word, which means to let the light in. Remember we talked about building a house with a message, and you want some windows, right? Windows are really helpful. I can't stand to be in a room without windows. Personally, it's like claustrophobic. I need windows. Not that I'm trying to get out. I just like to see out. Um, but windows are really nice in the house, right? Again, if your old house is built out of glass and it's, you know, it's, a, it's all windows, it's not very sturdy. It's probably going to fall down, right? So um, they're helpful, but we don't overuse them at the same time. So they allow light, uh, the light of understanding, to be shed on a truth so it can be more clearly seen. Again, windows for the house. Um, uh, a house of all, again, a whole window, all windows would collapse. So you want, to, with the, you want the audience to go away thinking about God and his word, not you and your story when it comes to illustrations, right? So don't try to just be, you know, all cunning and cute and funny, and that's all you walk away with is this kind of funny illustration that really is not connected to what you're teaching, and they walk away talking about you. That's, that's not good, okay? That's a bad idea. Um, your illustrations should support the truth of the passage, um, not compete with it or overshadow it, okay? It's the point is there to serve, you're serving the text. You're serving people by serving the text. You're giving an illustration to help them with their understanding, not to make them see that you're funny or whatever other reasons it may be. Again, when used properly, they clarify the truth, uh, the truth with stories, quotes, anecdotes, which illustrate the, tr- illustrate the truth to the hearers. Uh, likewise, illustrations make the sermon interesting. It does make it memorable. If they can connect it to the truth, they can walk away with, a, with an understanding of a story um, or quote or whatever it may be to illustrate. It's really powerful because it helps to remember what the truth was. But again, as long as it's connected uh, to a truth. Um, here are a few uh, kind of helps for illustrations. I would say, in general, have no more than one illustration per point that you give. Um, you don't usually need to give multiple illustrations for the same point. Now, I'll be studying a lot of times, and I'll think of three or four or five illustrations for this one point, and i got to make a decision. All right, I'm going with this one. <laughs> right, so um, you don't want to be like, and it's also like this. Oh, and it's also like this. You're like, okay, we get it. Like you, <laughs> we, you, you've, you've, you put enough windows up. Just give me one window. Um, so I'd say per point, have one illustration. Um, you know, I wouldn't. You know, sometimes the introduction and conclusion can have illustrations too. That's, that's separate. But if you say you've got three points, you know, have no more than three illustrations in the body of the message. Um, the general rule again is you kind of want to you read that text, you explain it, um, you illustrate it, and then you apply it, and you move on to the next one. Right? It's kind of the same rhythm. You explain it, um, you can explain it, illustrate it, apply it, move on to the next point. Uh, don't overkill on the illustrations in that way. I would say also seek original illustrations, preferably ones from your own life. You can't always, you know, you, you, don't, you can't always think of something. You also want to beware. You don't become the hero of every one of your stories, you know. So every, every time you're teaching, you're just talking about you, okay? You don't want to do that. Uh, but um, if, it, if it is a story from your life, it really has a way of kind of pulling people in. They, they like to hear those um, as well. 
I would say in general also avoid like cliches and books of illustrations. When I first started teaching, I had books of illustrations. I would look them up and because um, I was just trying to learn, which I get. It can be a little crutch. It's okay. But in general, those are like usually canned, but, but they can be helpful. Like this morning was a canned illustration. I opened up with story of Vince Lombardi. It's a pretty familiar story. Um, you know, that's, it happens, but you can use those sometimes. Um, I would say if you meet with people and be interested in them, ask them about their life, their work, family, you'll get all kinds of illustrations, right? You find out what people do and how they, you know, uh, what, what they do with work. You'll find illustrations you can use. And that's always helpful. And again, if you ever use a story of somebody who's in your audience, ask permission first before you do that. It may be totally fine. You may not think anything of it. But it just honors the person to be like, hey, you okay if I share this? You know, you, I think you, you talked about this. And I think this would be a great illustration. Are you okay with that? Nine out of times out of 100, they'll say, great. But it just honors them to ask them. Okay, so if you're going to bring somebody up, <laughs> make sure you ask them. Um, don't forget to look for uh, biblical illustrations. Those are also helpful. If, say if you're in the Old Testament or New Testament, you can look back to the other Testament to kind of give an image or a picture um, of, uh, of what you're talking about. They carry a good amount of authority, and it gives you an opportunity to teach more of the Bible. Right? You, there's illustrations uh, that can be used there. You can go back to an Old Testament story of David or you know, Old Testament you know, story of the priesthood or sacrificial system or whatever there, and those provide illustrations for support of uh, what you're teaching. So a lot of times when I was teaching the Hebrews, I did a lot of Old Testament illustrations because they're kind of already there. <laughs> and so it gave me an opportunity to teach a lot of the first five books of the Bible, called we call it the Pentateuch. It allowed me to teach a lot of that um, without actually being there because Hebrews was already kind of, it was already giving me illustrations already, um, which are helpful. I would say reading will provide the best sources for you for illustrations. Um, if you just become a reader, just read, read, read. Um, when I was first starting, I used to read, and I just, I, if I didn't dog ear pages, I would highlight the snot out of them. I, I, and in this day, I don't, I don't ever read anything. I actually refuse to, I won't read. Like, if I have a book and I don't have a highlighter, I just won't read. Like, I have to have a highlighter because it drives me nuts to see something and not be able to highlight it. So I always have highlighters, like, stashed all over my house, my car, my office, my bag. I get they're everywhere, um, you know, because I just want to, I want to highlight so I can remember and so early on, I used to even collect them. I used to have like a document um, on my computer of like illustrations. And if I found some neat quote, I would like copy and paste it in there, put it in little categories way back, way back, back. When I first started, I had a filing cabinet <laughs> before. And uh, yeah, had a filing cabinet that I used uh, to provide that. So, but reading. So it doesn't even be books, um, but just reading even things that... Um, you know, reading news stories, magazine articles, um, you know, again, history, nonfiction, science, sports, nature. It can be all kinds. It doesn't be spiritual books necessarily. Just as you read things, and the more you teach, the more you kind of, as you read other things, you'll kind of start going, oh, this would be good if I ever taught on this, or this would be good, right? So you just kind of find a way to collect those, um, however you do that. But um, involve your, um, your, uh, your family. Um, in terms of, uh, of bringing them in, help them think through at times. And early on, I used to use my little kids a lot. I used to, they used to be a lot of my illustrations, a lot, when they were little, because they were perfect illustrations. But I would ask them. And sometimes I'd, just go out, I'd be teaching something. I'd be like, so what do you think about this? And they would give me their own thoughts and be like, that's perfect. I'm using that. <laughs> just, that's too cute not to use. Um, and so, uh, so that it, it works as well. Um, and then also a final kind of thing about illustrations is don't announce them. 
digital. Now, let me illustrate for you this truth and then tell your story, right? Just transition into it. Be like, you know, there was a story or there was this truth or this person or whatever it may be. Just go into it. People pretty intelligent. They'll follow you. They'll know where you're going. Um, so you don't want to be like, it goes for any part of your message. No. Okay. First of all, guys, I'm going to start my introduction. Here it is. Okay. Now here's uh, here's the, here's the, here's the body. Here's the first point. Okay. Now I'm going to illustrate that point. And, you know, don't announce all of that. Um, you know, try to keep it in house a little bit here. They're pretty intelligent. They'll follow you in that way. All right. Any questions on, on illustrations? Alrighty. See that pause there? Allowed you to think about that. For a minute. That was really a long time for me. Uh, the power of imagination. All right. The power of imagination. Uh, Jesus made excellent use of word pictures and excellent use of the imagination. Some things you already talked about. You're reading. He very much was creative in what he what he did. He painted pictures for people to see with their minds. Um, he did this because again, truth was important. And have people understand the truth was vitally important. You need to help your audience kind of feel the stories when you tell them. I, one of my professors always tell, told me, he's like, give them the name of the dog. Give them the name of the dog. Don't just talk about a dog. Give them the name of the dog. In other words, like, just be very graphic and tell the details of the stories that you tell and just be like, there was a dog. Like, there was a dog named Rover. And he was going to go, just give the details. Um, Dig for concrete um, uh, and specific details that appeal to the senses. Um, so I, I give examples. Like I've used, especially when I was in Hollywood, because there was a lot of film kind of people. So I was having to use a lot of that world. So I would, a lot of times, even the Gospels, like I was teaching Luke 15, I would talk about, you know, the, the prodigal, you know, in, in the sun there, and he's out in the pig, pig sty, and kind of really kind of make what that looks like, use a lot of words to talk about the mud and all those things, and now, you know, if you, now if you catch, now the camera pans over to the father, you know, and he's, he's there on his porch and he's waiting for him. And so I'm kind of like using something that they would understand. Like, oh yeah, I went from that. Okay. I got that story, right? I just moved the camera. I run a camera. I know what that looks like, you know? Um, so find ways to kind of just be imaginative with what um, they have. Give them the looks, give them the smells, um, things like that really helps bring the story alive. Kind of brings it from 2D to, to 3D in many ways. One of the ways of doing this is to try to imagine uh, what it was like for the readers uh, or the participants in a story. Try to imagine as you're studying what it, what it was like to have heard this truth for the first time. Or wh- what would they have been thinking, Pharisees, when they heard the story of the older son who didn't go in? Like, how did they feel about that? Well, they're probably pretty angry, <laughs> probably pretty upset. Like, wait a minute, you're talking about me? So just try to put yourself in their, quote, sandals. Right? You've got to see it from their side. And that really helps bring people along. So people begin to come along with like, oh, yeah, I see how they would feel that way. I'd, I'd feel that way too. And then, boom, now you're getting to application, right? You're starting to, they're starting to feel themselves into the story. They're starting to see the relevancy of it um, because they, they can feel the same. No, I could, yeah, I would be upset too. You know, <laughs> like, I understand that. Um, so uh, we want to surrender to the artist, artist, sorry, we want his word to inform our imaginations, and then we want to think, dream, and imagine uh, what it's like. So imagination is a God-given thing. It's a good thing. Um, and we want to use it uh, to make much of Jesus in our teaching. We also don't want to be hyper-imaginative in terms of where we abandon Scripture for our own ideas, um, but we don't want to be unimaginative either. So don't be afraid of the imagination. Imagination is a good thing. Um, I've got a book right now I'm reading called Create, Creativity, Inc. 
It's the story of how Pixar got started. Um, and just the use of imagination and all that. It's just really, it's a really powerful tool um, that you can use. Um, I see most most teachers of the Bible, it's not hyper-imaginative. It's usually under, not using it enough. Um, uh, like J.R. Uh, Tolkien, who did uh, Lord of the Rings, he said what he was, I don't know if he didn't like English people or something. I think he was English, but he talked about them and he said uh he said this he said uh the hobbits are just are just rustic english people made small in size because it reflects the generally small reach of their imaginations right <laughs> very small reach of their imaginations all right number 10 the power of humor they get too much heavy content makes it hard sometimes for your audience to breathe it's okay to heat the pressure on a little bit it's okay when like people get a little uncomfortable and they're like, uh, I don't know what to do. You know, let it sit, let it let it marinate. Okay, that's good. Uh, but there are times where the people need to come up for air. Okay, they've been they're under something heavy, and it, again, it takes a lot of wisdom to discern like, is this a good time to kind of let them breathe a little bit, or do I need to like just need to keep them underwater for a bit, right? <laughs> let them struggle a little bit um, in that way. So uh, imagine your content is kind of like weights on the ankles of your audience when they're swimming. Okay, so they're they're able to go along for a while, but if you just keep the content on and weights on, eventually they're going to start to sink. And you kind of need to get them back up. Like you let them get some air. Laughter is kind of like that. It's like taking the weights off a little bit. Let them breathe. Put the weights back on. Let them sink a little bit. Right? It's good. It's up and down. They're bobbing up and down. Without appropriate humor, uh, you'll be in danger of losing your audience a lot of times. Um, again, let them breathe. Having said that, let me give a few warnings. Um, about humor. Um, again, be careful. Like illustrations, remember that humor is just for taking a breath, uh, removing the weights for a moment. Um, if, you, if you never put any weight on, then humor is pointless, right? You got to put weight on. You got to have content. Um, also, again, don't tell jokes just to be funny. Um, there are only a few who can maybe do that well. And typically, the you know, teaching the Bible is not the best place for that. Just be about people like, hey, for to start off today, I'm going to tell you a joke, you know, and it has nothing to do with anything. It's just, if I just make you laugh, you'll, you'll listen to me. Yeah, that may work once, but if you keep doing that every time you teach, it kind of becomes like this, you know, shtick or something. Yeah, they just kind of like, okay, I'm not going to listen. This is just trying to be funny, right? So, um, timing is everything. Uh, poorly placed humor can rob uh, the heart of conviction. So you need to constantly evaluate your audience. Even if you've written into something, like I'm going to, say something here to kind of lighten it up. I've many times uh, put, you know, things I was going to say that was kind of funny I thought would be a good point to kind of alleviate, and I'm just reading the audience and going, no, I need to stay there for a little bit. Like this is, you know, because it's a constant kind of reading of your audience. This is why you're teaching people and not just on a radio station or something. Right? You're engaging people. You're trying to feel what they're, what they're experiencing, where they're at with this. Um, derive your humor from real life as much as possible. If you can make fun of yourself, that's always usually the best kind of humor. People really enjoy watching you make fun of yourself. <laughs> it's like, for whatever reason, I find that the funniest. If I listen to people like Brian Regan or Jim Gaffigan, you know, these guys, they crack me up when they make fun of themselves. It's like, that's hilarious. Um, so yeah, making fun of yourself is always safe. Don't make fun of other people. Okay. That's dangerous. Um, especially a spouse or kids. Don't make fun of them in that way. Um, I would say, uh, yeah, yeah, just that was what I was going to say. Don't make fun of your family. <laughs> Unless you ask them. If you're like, hey, this is pretty funny. i got to share this. You know, great. All right. Number 11, the power of quotes. 
quoting sources is important so people know your no uh, no other sources to go to. So when you when you quote somebody, that's uh, usually you want to be careful if you do quote somebody. And if it's somebody you're like, yeah, I really don't want my people to probably read this person very much because they're kind of crazy on some stuff. But this point was really good. Sometimes I'll say that. Be like, I mentioned you guys about um, when we first started the class, William Barclay. Um, great history, horrible theology, right? So I want to qualify that before I, you know, just quote from him. Um, you know, just to kind of clarify, because people, it does give people a good place to go. Um, they're going, oh, that, that author, he repeats that C.S. Lewis guy a lot. I, you know, I'm going to read that guy. Um, again, try not to overquote uh, in a message. Um, know your audience. Don't uh, just continue just to lay on quote after quote after quote. Uh, it can be a little little heavy on people. Keep them short as possible as well, because if you go too long, uh, you kind of lose people um, in, a, in a quote. Um, and uh, let's see. Some of the things I have down here, like when I was, when I was learning to teach, like they told us especially, because we were learning Greek and Hebrew, and they're like, be careful, don't use that a lot. <laughs> don't use Greek and Hebrew and Latin too much. Like if you do, explain it really well, but don't, you know, you, you undermine people's confidence in their own English Bible. Like, I guess I can't understand anything because I don't know Greek or Hebrew, right? So yeah. it's good to use occasionally because it, it is unique and it does help bring some, some, uh, some, some points up. Um, but, um, but, yeah, be careful of that. Also, I would say the more, the more that you read, so getting quotes, like the more you read, the more you begin to find your own kind of voice, your own kind of thoughts of stuff. Like if you just read one person, you become a mimic. Uh, if you read two people, you get really confused. You read a hundred, you start finding yourself, or you start finding your own voice. Uh, I remember hearing Tim Keller share that one time. Like you just start finding your own voice in that, and your own your own kind of place in that. So it's good to read lots of different people and different sources um, will be helpful for that. Number twelve, power of passion. Uh, Doctor uh, Martin Lloyd Jones. Uh, he was a uh, pastor over in England, died in, in around 1980, sorry. He said, a theology which, is not, which does not take fire, I maintain, is a defective theology, or at least the man's understanding of it is defective. Preaching, he says, is theology coming through a man who is on fire. A true understanding and experience of the truth must lead to this. I say again that a man who can speak about these things dispassionately has no right whatsoever in teaching, right? It's no, it has no rights whatsoever. It just needs to do something else. <laughs> you need to be passionate. You know, it is decent to bore people with the Bible, right? I mean, granted, there are sometimes some really difficult subjects and things that you have to teach. Um, just try to bore people, okay? You want to you be interesting as you can. Be passionate. And you communicate. If you love it and you're learning about it and you're applying it to your own life, like, it'll naturally flow out of you. Like, this is really neat. I learned this. And you're... People love to hear things you learn, right? You learned it, great. That encourages me to want to learn. I can tell they're really passionate about it. You know, th- that, will, that will help communicate something. At least, at the very least, here's the thing. They walk away, they may not understand what you said. It may have been a bad lesson and you were all over the place, but you were super passionate about it. They at least walk away going, I don't know what they were talking about, but man, that Bible is really important to them. <laughs> right? So, I mean, at least there's something they walk away with, right? Um, so passion is, is a good spot. So... Uh, don't appear to be disinterested. Um, remember, you have the Holy Spirit speaking through you, uh, so don't don't quench that. And again, passion uh, ignites passion in others. It convinces uh, others that what you have to say is really important. So here are a, a few helps in considering uh, passion and teaching. First, I would say the tone of the delivery must match the tone of the message. Okay, the tone of the delivery 
must match the tone of the message. Be aware of the content and situation. Um, so just understand the part that you're teaching. If you're, you know, if, if what you're teaching is on the topic of hell, it's probably not one to fill with a lot of humor. Like, ha ha, this is super funny. You know, it's like, okay, that's doesn't quite get the feel doesn't it doesn't go with it right so you want to understand that um never let uh passion drown compassion okay sometimes passion can come across as angry right so you don't want to have passion come across as anger um you, know, you want to always still come across as compassionate at the same time uh too much passion can convey a lack of empathy uh, Tim Keller in his book on preaching said, quote, sound preaching arises out of two loves, love for God, uh, love for the word of God and love for people. Right? You need to have both of those love for people, and love for the word of God. Have those those two go together. Uh, passion can be expressed in many ways as well. So don't think it's just like because I'm <laughs> some people can just be up here the whole time and they're super intense and like if people walk away with a headache because they're like, ah, um, I it was too, it was too intense. Right, very it up and down a little bit. Um, you can express passion by pausing. Pausing can be a very, a very passionate thing to do. Right, just be really just kind of, you know, people like it's like they come out, hit the brakes real hard for a second. Like, okay, he just paused. Why did he do that? Um, the uh, you can use um, eye contact. Um, you can speed up and then slow down. Right, these are all ways that you can convey importance a loud voice a low voice um so you can all these different ways you can express passion uh, another thing i would say is if everything is important nothing's important okay that's what i mean by the always being up here and everything's like super super important you need to vary that because not everything honestly you're going to say is up here let's just be honest with ourselves we're not all excellent in it. and every word we say is just like now, there are people, I'll listen to Tim Keller and be like, that guy, like, I gotta listen to every word he says because he's super smart. And, like, every word doesn't, does matter. Not everything I say matters. So it's like, I just gotta realize, like, vary the, the passion too uh, on, you know, land, when there's something really important to say, be really passionate about that. But, um, you know, when you're giving me even the background information, they'll be super passionate about the background of what's happening. Like, this was going on in court, it was crazy. You know, like, oh, you know. Um, I would say genuine passion comes from, again, authentic convictions. Anything else is mere theatrics. This is why prayer and your soul as you're studying is so important because it flows through you to the people that you're teaching. Okay? So, that is on passion. Number 13. Power of objections. You need to both, again, assume and anticipate objections your audience may have with your content. Okay? The, uh, we sometimes call these defeater arguments. You know, what are some things anticipating what people may be thinking that they don't they don't agree? This this is especially important. To know your culture. Know like this morning I knew that talking about gender is going to be like yeah people are going to I got I had a lot of visitors today. I knew that they could be all over the map. I know what I'm saying does not jive with the culture that we live in. And so I just want to acknowledge that. Right? It's okay. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's okay, but I'm just acknowledging that it's okay that people have questions and people are trying to figure out where they are. People aren't Christians yet, and they don't understand maybe some of this stuff. So I want to bring, I'm going to anticipate their objections. Um, and so that sometimes that can be done um, just by as you're studying, like thinking to yourself, I always say for me, I always try to remember the 18-year-old Chris who sat out there and didn't, have, didn't know anything, and I want to think, okay, what is he thinking right now? Like, what, is, what does he not understand about this? Or what is his objections to this? Um, and you'll just find that the more you do that, 
you'll find that more more you'll find people you'll you'll find more unbelievers coming to listen to what you have to say because oh they they I'm 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 able to I'm able to be here. It's almost like a license to be. I can be here because they he said like that you know he understands what I'm thinking. It's okay. I'm I'm trying to process trying to understand this stuff. Okay, and you're just fine. And you find that people will bring visitors with them. Be like oh yeah I could bring my friend because yeah he has these questions too and he he would he'd be able to follow along with this right and that's kind of what you're what you're doing with that. Uh, it helps keep your audience uh, engaged. Helps them to tap into the rele- relevancy of the content. Um, again, especially important if you want to retain and welcome unbelievers that are around you. Uh, your assumptions will create will create your audience. If you assume that only believers are listening to you, guess what? You're only going to get believers listening to you. It's because you're all, you're just automatically saying if you're not on board with this, then you don't need to be here. Now you may not ever say that verbally. But if you never assume that people are there who would object to this, you'll never get those people who would object to it, because they'll hear you pretty quick and be like, "Okay, they they don't care to they don't care about my questions," kind of thing. Uh, number fourteen, power of transparency. Uh, research shows that unchurched people think number one, think Christians are judgmental, and number two, hypocritical, and number three, political. Those are like the three top three things that most unchurched people think about when they think about church people. Uh, so chances are, most unchurched people who would come uh, assume that it, that's who you are. They just automatically just, that's who you are. And so they have their guard up. Uh, they've already got you pegged in that way. Um, allow God's grace to, to flow through you as you share your own kind of brokenness, your own journey. Um, even your, like I said this morning, like I was like, guys, look, I don't know what this means. I don't know what the head covering thing was going on. I could have come and just made... Yeah, we're going to go this route. And I decided, you know what? I'm just going to tell you I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know what it means. I don't know what was going on in the history there. I don't know why exactly he said that, but here are some things that we do know. Um, sometimes, you know, coming across that way is is a good thing. It's okay to share, like, I was learning this or studying this, and I'm not quite sure, but I think this is what he's saying. Okay, that's okay to do uh, in that way. Um, nothing destroys hypocrisy like authenticity and transparency. Um, humorously demonstrating your own, human, humorlessly demonstrating your own humanness is a powerful way to break through their walls of resistance too. Right? Again, making fun of yourself can be a great way to kind of uh, bring people along. Uh, to effectively teach repentance, we need to demonstrate our own need for God's grace. If we're calling people to repent, we need to also be repenting and illustrating that as well. Um, again, Martin Lloyd Jones says, "Be you know, be natural. Forget yourself. Be absorbed in what you're doing." And in the, real, in the realization of the presence of God and the glory and greatness of the truth that you're preaching. Self is the greatest enemy of the preacher, more so than the case of any other man in society. The only way to deal with self is to be so taken up with and so enraptured by the glory of what you're doing that you forget yourself altogether. Right? You just get yourself out of the way um, and let God's truth go through. Oops. Number 15, there it is, power of culture. Uh, Knowing the culture that you're in, again, knowing your audience um, and the thinking of your audience is key to delivering life-changing messages. You need to anticipate what they're thinking. You need to understand their worldviews and what they're looking at and uh, where they're getting their kind of even truth from. Just like you need to exegete a text, you know, dissect it and bring it out, you need to exegete your audience and know know what they think. Um, Here's a few thoughts on that. I would say, uh, one, know their age. You know, are they young? 
Are they older? Is there a mix in that? Is there kids? Is there adults? Is there teenagers? Like, just know their age. Know their backgrounds, the people you're teaching to. In general, again, you can't know everybody because obviously you'll have visitors and you'll have different people around. But as best you can, like, is this, is this group primarily blue-collar? Are they primarily white-collar? Is it, is it kind of a religious audience that knows the Bible well? Or is there an audience that doesn't know the Bible at all? Right? That, that's really going to change how I'm going to present what, I, what I'm doing. Uh, and know their spiritual state. Again, it, it, am I, is it pretty much all believers I'm teaching here? Mm-hmm. Is it pretty much all believers? Is there a mix of the two? Right? This understanding of knowing your audience is going to be really important um, culturally. Also, be aware of uh, special needs and the circumstances of your audience. What do I mean by that? Um, know that if in your audience there's been a tragedy when you teach. Know when there's been a maybe more global or cultural tragedy that's taken place, right? Just know, don't pretend like you have your head in the sand and this didn't just happen, right? So, you know, I've taught before on Sunday and like the Saturday night or Saturday or Friday, it was a huge school shooting, right? I was acknowledging that. I would try to bring that up in the message somewhere and try to find a way to kind of help people process that through what, so it'd be some editing I would do in the morning there. So just know what's going on. It is helpful to know the news. Um, I found the I don't, I don't know why I didn't know about this before, but my Apple News app is pretty fantastic. I can choose all the magazines and newspapers I want and just kind of just, and I've got them. And I scroll through it all the time. I just want to see headlines, what's going on. <coughs> I click on something, read this, read that. Um, you know, when I was in L.A., I read the L.A. Times every day. It was crazy. <laughs> so it was some crazy stuff in there. But I even developed relationships with some of the writers um, and some of the, you know, and we you know, for various things, get them involved in other stuff I was doing, but was able to dialogue with them and work with them and opinion articles and all that stuff. I just want to know how people thought in my culture because it was, uh, it was not Kansas anymore, let's put it that way. Um, and so, um, I would say also, uh, know, uh, know what your audience reads again, listens to and watches in general. What do they listen to? What do they read? What do they watch? Uh, creatively use their cultural truths, but then quotation marks, their cultural truths to communicate. This is kind of what Paul did. If you go to Acts 17, he understood there were some cultural truths, right? He quotes these poets. And he says, you know, one of your poets says, we, in him we live and move and have our being. Right? That's, a, that's a true. That's true. That's something that one of you guys said. So he's grabbing what the world has said, because there is, again, truth is, the truth is still out there in the world. It's not like the whole world is completely in the in your head in the sand here. They're still made in the image of God, and so they still, even by accident, will communicate true things at times. There's things you can grab there, you can use. Um, so, again, that that's, just depends on your audience. As like I told you before, when I was in, in Hollywood, and the first church plan I did was like a lot of, it was almost all Hollywood industry people. I always used movies and film and music and art and all kinds of stuff I used for illustrations. I had to figure those things out um, because that's what they, that's what they watched. Um, avoid the, uh, another one I would say is avoid the we, them language. Uh, this is uh, true of talking about other churches, uh, but also when talking about uh, other ideologies in the broader culture, trying to talk about those people, right? You talk about those people. Well, you're not going to have those people in your audience if you do that, right? There's those, these people who think there's crazy stuff out there. And you're like, that's me, you know? It's like, well, they're not coming back. They're not going to listen to you anymore. Um, so watch your tone. Um, and don't, uh, don't rail on the unbelieving culture around you. And don't rail on the, the, the Christian culture around you either. Because some, sometimes you can do that where you just kind of start, you know, this church down the street. Or maybe it's not even down the street. Maybe it's like 
you know, this guy on the radio or this guy, this author does this and he's crazy. He believes this. And we well, you have people out there who are like, listen to that. You need to pick that apart. There's a, there's a sense of you know, refuting false teaching. I get it. But you just want to be identified as like, this is how, as a church, you don't want to identify yourself up against other churches. That's not your mission. Uh, you, you identify yourself up against the world. But even when dealing with the world, you still want to be careful in how your tone is and what you're saying in that way. Um, I would say uh, don't expect people who don't know Christ to act like they actually do. Uh, God did not send us on a mission to fix people's bad behavior or to make our larger culture more Christian. He sent us to preach the gospel and he sent us to see people come to Christ and disciple them in the truth, right? So um, just realize, again, what our mission is. I would say uh, also surprise your audience by identifying and loving the best parts of culture that you live in. Surprise them by loving and identifying the best parts of culture because there are some good things out there. And in doing so, you're kind of teaching them like, yeah, this is, I'm a real person teaching. <laughs> have a real life. Um, I do watch, listen to, whatever, these things. And there's good stuff out there. There is a thing called general revelation. Bible special revelation, but general revelation is creation. It's not just trees. It's, it's, it can be media. It can be all kinds of things that there is, the image of God that is still out there in the world. You can pull that in. So, again, Acts 17, Paul did that a lot. It'll make your unbelieving audience uh, more pliable to the truths you're telling them um, when they when they say um, when they see you're not just against everything in the culture. Because again, that's one of the things they'll you know, you're just against everything uh, out there. Again, every culture, no matter how crazy it is. I lived in L.A. Um, has redeeming qualities in it. There's because everyone's still made in the image of God. They're still still there. Uh, another one, use accessible and well-explained well vocabulary. Okay, it's again dealing with our culture. Always try to, I always try to remember myself before I didn't know anything. If you say things like, now Jeremiah knew this when he said, some people are either like, is that your neighbor? Like, who's Jeremiah? Like, is that the guy you play basketball with on Wednesday night? Like, who's Jeremiah? I have no idea who Jeremiah is, right? So um, you just... You just want to explain that. There's this guy, Jeremiah. He's a, when he wrote part of the Bible. It's in the, the, about the middle part of your Bible, right, in that area. And he, he wrote quite a lot, actually. And here's one of the things he said. Okay, right? You're just kind of helping bring people along. Um, and you'll find that's not, that's not just for people who maybe are unbelievers, but it's also for believers. Because you'll be surprised, uh, or maybe not, um, the amount of just people don't know their Bibles very well. They just don't. Um, and so you want to kind of help bring, that encourages them to come along with you and they don't feel like you left them behind, right? Like, well, if you don't know Jeremiah, then you're out of here, right? I mean, go somewhere else. Um, this means you are, uh, you're going to need to avoid the, um, the exit, okay, the, uh, evangelical sub -jar uh, subculture jargon that we have, uh, explain any terms that may be unfamiliar with your unbelieving or new believer audience. Again, does it mean that you don't use biblical terms? So if you use the word, um, I'll give you one like First uh, John 2, uh, the word propitiation is used. Not a very common word out in the world, right? So if you use propitiation, I would say, explain that word. Right? Don't avoid it. It's a biblical term. It's a really, really good word. And we want to and even acknowledge that even. If you read it and be like, now that's a word that you may not understand, right? Let's talk about that. What does that mean? Right? So I'm using questions. I'm bringing people along, right? Don't have people feel intimidated. Don't make them feel stupid if they don't know the word. Right? Just bring them along with it. But don't avoid biblical language. It's really important to use it. Just explain it. Um, and realize that in every, every field of work, right, um, you have your, everyone has their own kind of language. 
And so, and you'll get so used to using words that like, oh yeah, everyone just knows this. Mm -hmm. They don't. And even people who think they know what it means don't know what it means, right? <laughs> they just have heard it so many times like, oh yeah, I know propitiation means because I've been in church for a while, but I really don't know what it means, right? Um, another one I would say, tell, tell stories. Again, from young children, we talked about this earlier with our parables, from young children to seasoned adults, you'll find a love for story. Right? So that's why millions flock to the theaters. That's why Netflix is so big in our culture. People love story. Um, again, the reason Jesus was fond of using uh, stories, using parables, that's what they were, was stories. Again, incorporate sights and sounds and smells and touches as much as you can. Use all the senses uh, in that way. Give the name of the dog. Which we talked about. <laughs> Number 16, uh, the power of insight and interest. Insight um, is achieved by, uh, by explanation that increases understanding and generates clarity. Insight is what distinguishes great teaching from, you know, good teaching. Um, th this kind of uh, given insight is, provides a kind of the aha for the audience. Like, oh, oh yeah, that, I've never seen that before, right? It's, it's interesting. Um, this is where the observation stage, the very first part is so important. I told you don't skip observation. Don't jump to interpretation and application. Like spend some time on observation. Ask a ton of questions of what you're reading. Be an investigator. Because um, that's where a lot of your interesting things will come out. Because you've, you've discovered some things. Um, a few uh, helps on this. Uh, one is never overstate the obvious. Rather provide insights that make the text's meaning kind of blossom. Don't just overstate the obvious. People also, people don't want to hear um, what they think they already know. Tell them things they think they know in ways that, that they have never heard it before by using insight. That's something you just use an insight in that way. Um, yeah, another one, again, a boring teacher is, uh, you know, of the Bible is a contradiction in terms. Last thing you want to be is uh, perceived as boring. Show that you're interested in the text. You've asked a ton of questions. Even share that sometimes. You know, I was saying this and I thought, you know, I thought this. I thought about this. Maybe you thought about this, right? So, and you're kind of just, you're, you're bringing questions. Like, oh, yeah, that's a good question to ask. Um, and you may not even have an answer to it. But the fact that you're asking the questions is interesting, right, to people. Because they're going, I asked that question. Uh, interest is created and maintained by teaching. that um, brings curiosity, gets attention, provokes thought. Uh, interest is garnered by saying uh, what you have to say in a way that is fascinating and captivating. It'll take time to develop that part um, as you teach. Uh, if you want to be an interesting teacher, honestly, become an interesting person, <laughs> okay? <laughs> become an interesting person. Uh, the only way to do that, again, is just read. Just just read. Uh, again, Christian books, magazines, newspapers. You become interesting because you, you kind of consume. You're a consumer of material and information because that's what you're doing is giving information. Um, and so the more can you consume that will help bring insight to what you're teaching is uh, makes it more interesting in that way. And again, try to spread that out in what you, what you do read. Ask yourself if, you're, if what you are communicating is flat and boring because it is stated in a way that does not tap curiosity. Again, deductive elements in the message can add interest by involving the audience in the joy of discovery. So bring them along. Um, ask questions. Tell them what questions you've asked. Tell them what answers you found, maybe what you didn't find. Because um, even in that, if you tell them what you didn't find, you'll find somebody come up and be like, you know, but I think I found that answer. <laughs> and they'll come up and share it with you, because I get it all the time. Um, you know, so it's, it's good. I know what head coverings were. Oh, really? Tell me all about that. Um, anyway. 
Number 17, the power of mannerisms. Uh, remember, you're not teaching on a radio. You're teaching before people. Um, you're teaching a live audience. And while words are an essential element to communicating truth, mannerisms also communicate truth. And here are a few, few thoughts about this. Um, one, I say, is it, it try to incorporate hands. Okay? Don't teach like this. Just have your hands in your pockets and just kind of be like this. It's not interesting to people, right? Um, use your hands. Hands are, they're, God gave them to you. If you got hands, if you don't have hands, sorry to offend you. But if you, if you have hands, use them. All right, that's what they're for. Um, eye contact, uh, facial expressions, smile a lot. Uh, it was funny, I was having this conversation with my, my oldest daughter, um, who's like, my kids are on TikTok. And, um, and so we're laughing, she was showing me some of these videos and stuff, and she's like, how in the world does this person have so many followers? I said, because she smiles all the time. She's always smiling. Every time, every video you show me, the girl is smiling, <coughs> just ear to ear. She just looks happy. Like, and it's people like that. It's interesting, right? Um, smile. That's why Joel Olstein has so many people following him. Bad theology, but the dude smiles all the time. You just look at him and go like, oh, I just feel happy watching you. Because you just seem so happy, you know? Um, smile. It's a good thing. Uh, maintain, again, good eye contact. Uh, it helps keep people engaged. <laughs> this comes as a fun game. Uh, you may pick this up now that you, you get some of the insights of me teaching. So sometimes you see people sleeping, you can kind of stare at them um, and just kind of hold it down for a little bit. And then they wake up, they're like, whoa, he's looking at me. Um, that's really fun if you can get people at that point. Um, but also, you know, hold eye contact sometimes. It's okay. If people get a little uncomfortable, you know, you just keep staring at them. And Ben's like, what are you doing? Right? So, um, it's okay. Again, it's not. You may feel uncomfortable. It's not. It, it really is not. Um, and so you just make some eye contact. Um, stare them down a little bit and hold it on them for a bit. Next time I'm a little sleepy, I'm gonna be so paranoid. Oh, I'm gonna totally stare you down. It'll be so much fun. <laughs> oh, you're with us now. Okay, good. Behind the tallest. big massive pillars. Um, uh, be natural. Uh, in your mannerisms, be you. Don't try to mimic somebody you saw one time and be like, they really use this, you know, thing all the time. And so I'm going to use this all the time. And it's like, that's kind of strange. You don't do that. Um, identify your nervous gestures. Okay, we all have them, right? Identify your nervous gestures. Try to avoid uh, making them. Uh, this can be, I just did it, click on your tongue. You can do that a lot. Um, tapping on your, your uh, tapping on the, the, the pulpit or table, whatever you're on, uh, repetitive arm movements. You know, I told you if you fast forwarded and you look like you're taking off, like you're flying, you probably want to like tone that one down. Um, you know, it's just, you can have somebody record you and be like, just record me sometimes when I teach and then go back and fast forward it and you'll, you'll pick up, you know, the mannerisms you use a lot. You'll pick them up pretty fast. Um, Again, I talked about smiling. Smile a lot. It's always good. Uh, Matt, again, match the content of your, you know, let your disposition match the content of what you're teaching. A lot of times you're teaching truths that are hopefully pretty happy, right? There will be, this is good. Grace is good. You know, God's goodness is good. But there's sometimes you talk about wrath and hell and justice, and you'll be like, you know, just a big old smile. Like, isn't hell awesome? Like, you know, no, that's quite the right um, gesture. Uh, the larger the audience, the larger the gestures need to be. So uh, if you're in a smaller group, you don't quite need to be so dramatic. It's hard for me to tone it down, by the way. This is kind of, I'm still the same. But, um, you know, try to vary it based on your audience. Be careful of, of uh, being too tied to your notes as much as possible. Try to look up, um, engage people. Again, look at them. 
uh, in that way. So, you know, don't do the I've had people do the you know, they grab a hold and they're just kind of it's like it's like they're about to like die and this is like there's this is the, this is their their vest here, right? And this is their vest and they're kind of like holding on for dear life and like their hands are turning white, you know, knuckles. It's like let it go, step away, talk for a minute, use some hands, stir them down. It's good. Okay. All right. Number eighteen. Power of voice. Uh, the voice is one of the most powerful instruments uh, God gives you as a teacher. Voice is really, really important. Uh, tone, cadence, pace, fluctuation can all be powerful tools of communication. So let's talk about a few of these. Learn, um, I would say this, if you're going to teach on a regular basis, learn to take care of your voice. This is sound strange. This is like going back to music class or something. Um, get a good night's sleep before you teach. It'll stay up late. Um, I'm going to be really practical in this one. Avoid dairy, citrus, carbonated drinks before you teach. Sometimes I can drink caffeine and, uh, and get a little bit too, uh, too wired up. Um, avoid screaming and yelling before you teach. Uh, this is uh, Saturday night football or whatever it may be, or Saturday college football. Like, be careful of just screaming to your voices raw and then try to get up and teach, and it's just really painful for people to listen to you. Um, <laughs> I, I just really low-hanging fruit here. Wash your hands a lot. Helps you keep from getting sick. Okay, if you're gonna teach a lot, wash your hands. It's hand sanitizer. We got them all over the church for a reason. I just go by and just kind of pump. You know, wash my hands all the time. Try to keep from getting getting sick. Drink lots of water. Real practical. See, there you go. Uh, very intensity, projection, pitch, and rate uh, to avoid monotony. Okay, uh, you want to prevent. We call it like the Chinese water torturing. You just drip, 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 drip. You're the same way the whole time. You're just like monotone. You go up and you want to go down. You want to fluctuate on your tone. Uh, speed up at moments. Slow down at others. Uh, learn to communicate loud truths. Loud, hard truths is hard. You know, sweet truths is sweet. Right? They communicate them differently. Uh, use pause effectively. Uh, better to have less information and uh, and more pauses. Again, you may feel uncomfortable at first in making a pause. Don't feel like you have to fill every second with a word. It's okay to sit there. It's okay to let it let it sit for a moment. Uh, give space for the Holy Spirit to to move. Again, it usually only feels awkward to you. Uh, you can sense when a pause is needed, uh, or when it's uh, effective by the silence of the auditorium at times, or the people you're speaking to. Paper start stop moving. You know, um, pens that are no longer taking notes. Everyone's kind of quiet. Okay, we're we're on to something right now. There's something going on. I need to give this a little bit of time. I need to kind of slow down in that way. Uh, recognize the unique features of your own voice and understand how best to use them. Use it. Uh, this is best accomplished by asking others. Um, a spouse can be helpful. Um, a, I found, honestly, the elderly audience is usually really helpful for me. When I was in Mobile, I had I called her Aunt Eunice. She sat in the second row. She was like 85. She made the greatest jam. She was like, she made jam all the time. I had jars and jars of jam in my house, but... When I was, this is when I was first learning how to teach, and that, those poor people, I just feel bad for them. But uh, I was just learning, and I just had, you know, I had sticky notes all over, like, to tell me, like, slow down, s- stop flying away like a bird, because I'm like, you doing this number, and I'm, and I'd always just, Aunt Eunice was my, was my gauge, and she would just look at me, and she said, now, if I do this, that means you need to slow down. So I'd be, and I'd look down, and be like, okay, slow down, right? Aunt Eunice is staring at me. Um, it's okay. I mean, involve people. Let them help you uh, in kind of fluctuating your voice and how you use it. If you're too fast, too slow, whatever it may be. 
uh, keep some cough drops near. See, just trying to be practical, right? Just water, cough drops, those are all helpful. Uh, have some, some water nearby. Um, <laughs> uh, we make fun of Pastor Eddie because he hates, he hates the, <laughs> the, the, the lip smack thing. He, like, if I listen to it, we were at a conference, he's like, he walks out. I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I can't take it. I can't take it. I'm like, what? It's the lip smack. And I'm like, I, can't, I don't even hear this. I don't even hear it, but you hear it. Clicking, lip smacking drives him crazy. I don't know why. Um, dry mouth. It's that, yes, yeah, the dry mouth thing. He's like, he, he like wants to go up there and give him water. Uh, identify your, uh, your verbal bridges and eradicate them. These are hard. These are the, uh, um, uh, <laughs> you kind of, yes, we have those. Uh, sometimes you could, me, it's like, you can be like, okay, okay. I could use okay, like 800 times. Like, or you see, you see, you see, you see, stop saying that so much. Um, you just got to figure out what the, there it was. See, um, I said it. Uh, you may want to, to get right. I get the sticky note thing. If I have words that I'm identifying, I need to eradicate. I would write them down and be like, don't use that word anymore. Stop, stop saying, um. Uh, kind of thing. So, number nineteen, the power of clarity. Clarity is of utmost importance if people are going to walk away with an understanding and encounter the living God. Just reading some verses with some interesting or pithy statements afterwards does not usually result in clarity. It needs it takes some work to be clear. That's why I say I want you to write yourself clear. That's why the writing is important. The manuscripting is important. Um, here are some tools uh, for clarity. One, again, write yourself clear. Read the draft out loud can be super helpful. Read it to someone else maybe may be helpful too. Uh, ask yourself how easy it would be to take notes on your message if you were listening to it. Is this easy to follow? Can I, am I able to take notes without ever seeing this? Uh, prepare your notes in a way that's easy for your eyes to grab. This is different for different people. I use you know, an iPad. I used to use printouts. Uh, I used to write. I used to have a fountain pen collection, which is crazy. But I used to write them out because I thought that was cool. It's not cool, but I, I used to do that. So, I mean, however you want to do it, you want to write it out, you want to print it out, you want to use a digital screen, but find ways to kind of just be creative with it. I used to put like, you know, I was going to give an illustration over in the margin. I would write like a little window. I put a little window over there, right? I would different color highlights would mean different things. Like in my digital stuff, um, you know, I still I still I still have highlights, right? I still highlight, and that helps me grab certain words I'm looking for. Um, so I'm not just sitting here doing reading. I can grab a highlight word and be like, oh yeah, I know where I'm going with that in this highlight. Um, I'll use, uh, I'll, in a, I'll put it in italics when I have questions. So when I'm going to ask a question, I have italics in there. And that gives me a good indication. I go back and read over my sermon, how much italics? I need some italics. I need, I need to make sure I'm asking questions. Oh, I didn't really ask many at all. I need to, ask, I need to, I need to add some. Um, so it's just the way I do it, but you know, finding ways that helps you grab whatever you're trying to teach, um, and how it makes you pop to your eyes so you can remember it better. Again, it's unique to you, but find ways to kind of just, instead of just a blank piece of paper with words, maybe add some pictures or colors or highlights or italics or bold. I bold certain things. If I have a quote, it's in bold. If I have a verse, it's in bold. Verses are in 10 point font and quotes are in 12 point font to me. There's just it's just me. It's just different. It, my eyes know what I'm, when I see that, I know where I'm going. Um, it's just finding ways to do that. Also, I would say, um, and I'm, I keep hearing myself say, um, and that's going to bother me. Uh, <laughs> see, I can't even stop. Experiment with fonts, uh, uh, font sizes, color highlighting, paper sizes, apps. I use different apps and 
Dropbox or Pages or Evernote, different ways you can do it. Finish your message before the night before you're going to do it. It's really good to do that. Have a night you can sleep on it. Uh, so that uh, so that you wake up and have a kind of a clear understanding where you're going. You may have some edits and different things to do the day day of, and that's okay. Uh, rehearse the message again if you can in your mind as well as out loud as possible. Lastly, the power of integrity. Uh, per- perhaps uh, the most dangerous pitfall for teachers is, is the temptation and the possibility of delivering truths that you yourselves don't even live by or believe. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is why, you know, this, is, this point is really important. Nothing will undermine your message. It will, people will eventually understand that this doesn't mean anything to you if you don't live according to what you're saying, right? So the, again, the integrity is super important, important. Now, having said that, you inevitably, because you are a sinner too, just like I am, you will, you will run across truths you have to teach that you yourself struggle with, whether it be faith in believing those truths or whether it be you know, obedience and living out that truth, right? You are going to have those times. That doesn't mean you avoid it. doesn't mean you don't teach it. It doesn't mean you're going to need some extra amount of humility in walking through that um, and, and really having God work on you while you're preparing for that, okay? So you'll have those times. That's okay um, to work through. First uh, Timothy 4.16, Paul uh, told Timothy there, he said, keep close watch on yourself and the teaching, right? In doing so, he says, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So obviously there is a tremendous impact, not just the truth has on people that you teach, but the way, but your, your life going with that has a huge impact um, in that way. So we have to keep watching ourselves and what we're teaching. Um, I, I left a uh, quote there, this guy, Floyd Schaefer, I always remember, this is uh, from Christianity Today, 1961. So the language is a little old, granted, but I love this quote. This has always been one I, I used to have up on my wall. He, uh, he says, uh, talking about the uh, church, what, what the church should do with their pastor who's teaching. He said, uh, make him a minister of the word. Fling him into his office, tear the office sign off the, from the door, and nail in the sign, study. <laughs> Take him off the mailing list, lock him up with his books and his typewriters, I told you this is old, and his Bible. Slam him down on his knees before texts, broken hearts, the lies of a flock, and the holy God. Force him to be the one man in our communities who knows about God. Throw him into the ring to box with God until he learns how short his arms are. Let him, let him, come, no, uh, let him come out only when he is bruised and beaten into being a blessing. Require him to have something to say before he dare break silence. Make him spend and be spent for the glory of God. Give him a Bible, tie him to his pulpit, and make him preach the word of the living God. Form a choir and raise a chant and haunt him with it night and day. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I love it. This is good. This is good. He says, when at long last he dares assay, assay the pulpit, ask him if he has a word from God. If he does not, then command him not to come back until he has read and reread, written and rewritten, until he can stand up, worn and forlorn, and say, thus saith the Lord. And when he is burned out by the flaming word that coursed through him, when he is consumed at last by the fiery grace blazing through him, and when he is... He, when he who has, priv- has was privileged to translate the truth of God to man is finally translated from earth to heaven, then bear him away gently, blow a muted trumpet, and lay him down softly, place a two-edged sword on his coffin, raise a tune triumphant, for he was a brave soldier of the word, and ever he died, uh, he had become a spokesman for his God. I was like, whoa, that's intense. <laughs> that's good stuff. But you just got to get the idea. Like, it, it is, your life is important to what you're teaching. Um, you know, it's not just giving truths. It's having, again, the word, the word of God affect you 
and it, it, it flows through you as people can, can feel that. They can see that uh, when, you, when you have that happen. All right. It's a little early tonight. Any final questions? I'll, I'll pause effectively for a little bit. What do you guys think? Well, we have um, next week, we start our laps. All right, everybody know who's up? Because I don't have it on top of my head. I sent it out on the email. Does anybody, anybody got to pull that up quickly? Do you have that, Mark? Uh, you just know you're up. 